Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to another edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Network. And right now, I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend and is getting ready for the holiday week. Thanksgiving is finally here. I can't believe it feels like November just started a few weeks ago, which it really did, but it feels a lot shorter than that. But either way... I'm going to be here talking about a plethora of things that have happened over the weekend and the course of today in the world of Hollywood. I'm going to be talking about breaking news that just happened about Godzilla v. Kong moving its release date, a new casting announcement for the Batman, and a whole lot more. But, of course, since it is Monday, I'm going to be talking about, of course, the recap to this weekend's box office and what a weekend it was, one that a lot of people expected to happen, the weekend that kind of broke through and put an end to the slump for this November's box office, and that is, of course, Disney Animation, Disney Studios, Frozen 2, the sequel to the hit phenomenon of 2013's Frozen, Frozen 2 came away as the clear-cut victor with no competition whatsoever as it cleaned house this weekend, grossing with the actuals now $130 million at the box office domestically and $358 million worldwide, 220 coming from international markets around the world. This was a behemoth. This was Goliath at its finest. This is what exactly what everyone thought Frozen 2 was going to make. Some people think it's a little bit of a disappointment, but... When you look at the records, Frozen 2 broke, especially not coming from a summer release window, which when you look at a lot of the records or a lot of the films that Frozen 2 almost came close to beating or not so close to beating and and it still is kind of in that middle ground, it just shows that this makes it even more special because those films came out in the summertime, whereas Frozen 2 came out in a November slate, in a holiday slate nonetheless, a week before a holiday slate when a lot of kids are still in school, especially because it's an animated film. You want to get that the family aspect. This is a family movie. And this is, I said in my review, which you can check out on, on the San Pacel Podcast channel, that this is a movie for everybody. It's not just for families. It's not just for little kids. It's for teenagers, preteens, even adults as well can see this movie and I think they would walk away stunned, emotionally invested, emotionally happy, and really pleased about what they saw with Frozen 2. But just going through some of the uh, the records that Frozen 2 did break, it is the best opening ever for an animated film in in this month, beating Frozen in 2013, which had that record for an animated film. So when you put that into, into perspective, six years later, Frozen 2 did ten times really the amount of what the first film did all those years ago. It is the fifth best November opening ever in the history in terms of box office and, and opening weekends. It doubled Frozen's 3D opening, which was $67 million. So that goes to what I said, really surmounting to how how many times it beat to be the best animated opening in November. And it also is the best opening for a Disney animated film. Really with, when you look at Disney animation... You, you see all these great successes, Moana, Tangled, Frozen. Now you look at Frozen 2, it is now the highest grossing Disney animated film, but the film that came before it, it is the first animated film to gross over $100 million because Zootopia had the best opening ever for Disney animated film, which came out in March of 2017, and that went on to gross $75 million its opening weekend. And, and Frozen 2 is the first 
Disney animated film to cross over the $100 million mark on its opening weekend. No other film has done it. Moana didn't do it. Any of the Wreck-It Ralph films didn't do it. No Disney animated film in this decade has been able to do where Frozen has accomplished at the tail end of the 2010s. It's also the third best opening ever for an animated film. Talking about the two that came before it. And two films that came out and opened in the summertime. That is Finding Dory 2 that came in with $135 million its opening weekend. And then, of course, Incredibles 2 at $185 million its opening weekend. So, again, it just puts into perspective how phenomenal of an opening Frozen 2 had to really break out of, again, this, this opening that when you look at all these other films and other records that Frozen 2 broke or what leads behind it, it all comes from the summertime. Finding Dory, Incredibles 2, they all came out in June of their respective years. So that, so again, for Frozen 2 to be able to convince people to come out before Thanksgiving, because the first Frozen came out, and when it, when it surprised people at the box office and critically, it came out during that Thanksgiving Day frame. This one comes out a week before Thanksgiving, so what... What's going to be interesting is to see, and what's always interesting when you look at the box office numbers and box office runs, is how that second and third week of big anticipated films do in terms of the legs and what we're expecting the end result to be. And specifically for this film, will it gross not just over a billion dollars, but break Frozen's record of the highest grossing animated film of all time, which houses at $1.2, $1.3 billion worldwide. And so, especially now that they have they made this money, what is going to be the legs for this movie going forward, specifically in its second weekend with Thanksgiving with Thanksgiving weekend approaching, with families having off, kids having off from school, parents having off from work on Thursday and Friday. What is that four-day slot going to look like when Frozen 2 is out still and you have things like Knives Out that's coming out, Queen and Slim, and while I'm not saying those are going to be big blockbusters, those still, I think, can put a dent into the demographic change of where people are going to select their movies because there's so much to choose from this holiday frame, really. You look at something along the lines of, again, Knives Out, or you look something that came out this past weekend with A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which we'll get into in a little bit. But for Frozen 2, what is that Thanksgiving slate going to look like? What is that number going to be? Is it going to dip down to around $100 million? Is it going to dip lower than that and maybe gross 90 to $80 million? Will it stay 110 100 I think if I'm betting, I would think maybe it'll fall around $190 million. I do think it's going to hold a very steady because I think Frozen 2, again, if you look back at my review, I, don't, I didn't say it could be repeat viewings, but... The way that I that the way that I've said it, I definitely would want to go back and see this movie again. It's an experience. It's a very it, it's a great story. It's it has great music, while not the classics of the first film like Let It Go. Do you want to build a snowman? Summer, but it still has great songs that you'll be able to to hum to, while not be the sing-alongs of the original. It still has great songs that have such great meaning to the story of the movie. So I think. Parents and families are going to want to go back again and watch Frozen 2 and watch this adventure again with Anna Nelson and has that repeat viewing for families and for little kids to go see once again. And also what's great about this this record, and it just reinforces what happened during the summertime when Disney was just dominating basically every single month minus 
the month of the month of August in in the summer. They dominated June with Toy Story Four. They dominated July with The Lion King. They dominated April really and into May with Avengers Endgame, and then they dominated again with Endgame and Aladdin towards in May and towards in June leading to Toy Story Four. Then of course they had Captain Marvel in March. They've been dominating really the, the entire year, but when they had that consecutive month of end of April, May. June, July, they dominated that entire stretch of the summer and springtime, and then they took a little bit of time off. They had Maleficent, which didn't really do a lot. And what's interesting is if you if you read the the Rotten Tomatoes article about the box office, since Maleficent: Mistress of Evil came out, until Frozen Two came out, the the actual opening box office tally, opening weekend has been around ninety seven million dollars, and Frozen Two eclipsed that in just one weekend, which is insane to even think about. That it eclipsed all that in all those weeks, and it did it in one weekend. It it it's it, it's incredible to think the kind of run that Disney has had, and it goes to Disney's credit, where they had a few months off, even though they had Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, and that is doing good money. It's not gonna it's not making billion dollars at the box office, breaking all of these records, and it just adds to it. It brings back this conversation again about Disney having the kind of run that they've been having throughout this entire year, and this is no surprise that this film. $358 million worldwide in its one weekend. It still has a, it's going to have legs these next few weeks, especially up until at least December 13th when Jumanji Welcome, uh, the next level comes out, the sequel to Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, which made a lot of money when it came out in 2017. It has a, has some breathing room until that the, those last few weekends, it's probably going to dip down a little bit in the box office, but it has a nice three-week, now two-week cushion to really rake in as much money as it possibly can before Jumanji and then Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker hits, which, again, speaking about Disney, Frozen 2 now puts Disney past the $3 billion mark in, in terms of just year-wide grosses for the third time. And it's also, Disney has skated past, according to Eric Davis over at Fandango, Disney's box office that they have grossed three and a half billion dollars in 2019. It's it's a record year for any studio, and what's incredible is that the second best studio placement in 2019 in terms of box office earnings is one and a half billion dollars by their competition in Warner Brothers, and that mostly has to really do with what Joker helped help make and it Chapter Two. Really, the fall was Warner Brothers to own. Now it's going to be Disney's holiday season to own between Frozen 2 and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. And so it just it just shows that within the next two months towards the end of the really the end of the year in 2019, Disney is going to be dominating between Disney Plus, between Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, and now what Frozen 2 is doing. We're back into the Disney conversation again about how they, they had they, they went into hibernation for a little bit. They went into fall hibernation and again they had Maleficent Mistress of Evil, but it was all about coming back strong again and picking really right up from with Frozen Two and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker and finishing up the year. Like they started the year off in, in, in March and then April, May. So for Disney this just adds to it and it goes to show that they they know what people want. People are going to see these movies, and I know people are complaining about, well, do we need all these sequels and franchises? Bah, 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 bah. Disney's making them, and people are coming out in droves to see it as you look at these records. Disney Disney sees the cash flow. They see the reviews coming. People are enjoying these movies. They're creatively incredible. They tell amazing stories. People are loving these films, despite what people might not like and the negativity that people feel towards these. Unless the 
once the money starts come doesn't come in, then they'll they'll they'll, they'll change tactics. But until then, they're gonna keep riding this wave out of success. And I don't think any studio in the next um, five, ten years, maybe in a, a lot longer than that, will have the kind of year that Disney has been having this year. Between all of the IPs that it's had, it's and it's not even that people are getting tired of it, and people are complaining that we're getting tired of all this. Well, clearly not. If Frozen 2 is making $130 million here in the States and then over $300 million in one weekend worldwide. It tells a completely different story. And I think for Disney, it just goes to show that they just know how to cater towards big theater blockbuster experiences, cinematic. I wouldn't even say cinematic experiences. While they are cinematic, they're just experiences. They're experiences at the movies that you won't get anywhere else. And so I think for this and for Star Wars, which we'll get into in a little bit, I don't think Disney... Nobody else touches Disney for how they're able to deliver big blockbuster times, experiences at the Cineplexes. And, and at least in 2019, I really think in the last half decade, they've been able just to pull off feats that nobody else has been able to do between Marvel and Star Wars and Pixar, even their own their own Disney Animation Studio, and even in their own live-action studio as well. You look at what they've done sometimes with Pirates, even though that's kind of faltered a little bit. But you look at their live-action retellings, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King this year, Aladdin grossed over a billion dollars at the box office, which nobody saw coming. And I've, I've always said, and I will stick to it, that if that didn't fall into the win column, I don't think I think we're still talking about Disney. Again, that would have been $5 billion hits they've had. It would have been four. We still would have been looking at them at, at the way that we are now. But I think Aladdin just added to the awe of what we're witnessing with what Disney has been doing so far this year between Endgame and then you even look at Infinity War last year and Frozen. It's just, if you tally up this decade for what they've been able to, the money they've been able to pull in, and again, $10.5 billion in global ticket sales at the 2019 box office is incredible. It's incredible. And you just, again, Best opening for Disney animated films, Utopia, $75 million. This grows $130 million. So it's it's just, it's incredible. And my hats tip off to Disney again for not even pulling up the impossible because we knew this was going to happen. But to do it consistently, I think you tip their hats for the consistency that they're just able to do it on, specifically for one entire year. Where really it's just been, even Maleficent has kind of gotten its act together and kind of become a, a semi-hit. The only misfire they've had this year was at the, their first film of the year in March, which was Dumbo. And I think they just wanted to get that one out. But since then, since Captain Marvel, it's been really hit after hit after hit after hit. Since March, it's been billion-dollar hit after hit after hit. With, the, again, the only one not being, which people really expected it to, to, to not be the billion-dollar hit in the rest of 2019 slate is Maleficent. So it's just the consistency that Disney's been able to attribute this year towards so far has been incredible. And again, they're not going to slow down anytime soon. I think next year we're going to get a few billion-dollar films from them. I think Black Widow's going to be a surprise billion-dollar film. But I also think this year, again, we, we have The Rise of Skywalker. And that's going to be a bona fide billion-dollar head at the box office. We don't know how much money that's going to make opening weekend or worldwide. Could it potentially gross over a billion and a half? Could it get to potentially two billion? Again, Avengers Endgame numbers are out of the question but can it still hit that potential two billion dollars for the event that the, that this is that the skywalker saga is going to be closing on but i don't want to get ahead of that real quick but again congratulations again to 
everyone that worked on Frozen, the cast and the crew, Idina Menzel, Kristen Bell, Josh Gad, Sterling K. Brown, Evan Rachel Wood, Chris Bucks, Jennifer Lee, and of course, Bob Iger, Alan Horn, and everybody else who works at Disney Studios. They, they pulled off an, another incredible feat that we all knew that they were going to do. Now moving on to the rest of the box office, while not the smash hit that Frozen 2 was, there were still some good leggings in the box office this weekend while not again not not the smash hits but some good ones going to number two ford v ferrari grossed another 16 million dollars 57 million domestically 103 million dollars worldwide dipped 50 percent and it's going to have to make around over well over 200 million dollars to get back to its budget and stay in and get into the black and not into the red so ford v ferrari still has a little bit of a pace to pick up and it dipped 50 percent i think when you have stuff like A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood and even 21 Bridges, you have more adult films coming out now. And there's this upcoming week with Queen and Slim and Knives Out as well. There's going to be some more offerings, and it's not just going to be 4V Ferrari. So even though they had a incredible uh, above expectations that they had at, at in its first weekend and grossing $31 million, it's going to be a test to see where 4V Ferrari lands overall. But again, $130 million worldwide. It's still incredible. It's still a good success, but in order to be a financial success, they're going to have to make a little bit more money in the next few weeks. And with again, with all the the content that's coming out, it's going to be interesting to see where it lands. Coming in number three is the second newcomer to the weekend: A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with Tom Hanks and Matthew Reese, the Fred Rogers film. Not really a biopic, but a, a film with Red, Fred Rogers in it. Grows thirteen and a half million dollars domestically. It hasn't come out worldwide yet around other countries and other states in, in, around the world. But again, a, a good a good modest start for Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood came in at around expectations. $14 million is what prognosticators had it coming into. So I think they're expecting this film to kind of play long into the Thanksgiving weekend and really into the rest of the holidays. This is one that they're going to want people to go see it. And, and even though it's more of a wide release, this one and not really a, a slow rollout, like something like a Jojo Rabbit did or, or a Parasite, this is one that has a lot of Oscar conversations going about it. You have the buzz of having a beloved actor play a beloved figure of Mr. Rogers. So I think this one is going to have sustainable legs throughout. And it won't be breaking the bank, but I think it'll make back its budget and it'll be a modest hit that will be talked about for when award season. And now that we're in the thick of award season, it'll keep the momentum going for it into Oscar season for a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Coming in at number four is 21 Bridges, grossing $9.3 million at the box office, $12 million worldwide. Again, a film that if you check my social media accounts, I reviewed this. I'll have a review out on the podcast in a few days. But for 21 Bridges, again, I, I didn't think it was the best film in the whole world, especially for this year. It came way below my expectations, and it, it came in at around what the studio was expecting, but still not a great look for 21 Bridges, $12 million worldwide at the box office. So again, I, some people want to go see it, but I think it just goes to show that star power isn't everything and that you people go to see premise and franchises. And if you, if, if it, I think if it had better reviews, more people will go to see it. But coming in at around 42% of Rotten Tomatoes, people see that stuff. And I think it worked in the favor of 21 Bridges. Then coming in at number five is Midway, $4.7 million worldwide. At this weekend's box office, $43 million domestically, $81 million worldwide. Again, this one, even though it came in at number one on its opening weekend, it's going to be chalked up to a huge bomb for this film. Even though Lionsgate was only in charge of the domestic distribution and the UK distribution, and it's made its money back in 
in that way, it's still going to be a big loss for the companies. And Roland Emmerich, who's the director for this one, had to do this one kind of through more indie studio back channels and not in, no major studio was picking it up. So for Midway, I still want to go see this movie, but in the terms of the box office, it doesn't look like it's going to be in theaters for much longer. Then coming in at number seven is The Good Liar, grossing another $3 million, 11.7 domestically, $17 million worldwide. Again, another, I don't want to say stinker because it's not like this is a big, big budgeted film and it's got good reviews, but not a great look when you have the star power of Ian McKellen, Helen Mirren in there. So for The Good Liar, decent sized box office, but in terms of its of the the competitor below it coming in at number eight charlie's angels huge loss for them that came in at around 59 percent down from coming in at number two at the box office three million dollars this weekend 13 million dollars domestically 43 million dollars worldwide and this was a hundred million dollar budgeted film this is going to be a, up chucked up to a big loss for sony pictures which is kind of sad again if you want to check out my social media i reviewed charlie's angels and i found it very surprising i i, I wished more people went to go see this movie but it just might have not appealed to people. Maybe some people just didn't want to go, didn't want to see it. What weren't interested in a new Charlie's Angels movie, but I would recommend it. I love the lead actresses in this film. The direction was very good for a, a second time director in Elizabeth Banks. So I would I would encourage people to go see it. It's a fun time. It's not it's not not going to be on anybody's top ten of the year list, but it's not going to be on anybody's top ten of the the worst films of the year. So it's right in that middle sweet spot right there. So Charlie's Angels, unfortunately. It will, I don't think we'll be seeing a sequel anytime soon for this franchise. We probably won't see this franchise for a, at least a few years as this is going to be a loss that's going to signal to the studio that nobody wants to see Charlie's Angels right now. Coming to number nine is Last Christmas, grossing $3 million, 27.79 domestically, $51 million worldwide. Again, star power of Amelia Clark, Henry Golding. They wanted to get onto the holiday bandwagon in the early parts, but now that we're into the holiday season now with Thanksgiving this week, I don't know if Last Christmas might survive this upcoming box office. Maybe it stays in the bottom half of the top 10, comes in at number 10 this weekend, but I think this is one of the last times we'll see Last Christmas on the top 10 at the box office. And then coming out at number 10 is one of the best Box office stories of the year in Joker, grossing another $2.8 million, 326.9 domestically, and $1 billion worldwide at the box office. Just adding padding to its already spectacular run at this year's box office. And it's it's crazy to think that this, this film came out well over a month and a half ago. Well over, almost at two months since this movie came out. And it's starting to leave a bunch of theaters now, now that we're getting Frozen 2. And in a few weeks, we'll get the new Jumanji and Rise of Skywalker. And we're getting Knives Out this weekend. So a lot of theaters that don't have a lot of multiplexes, maybe around 14, 10 theaters, it most likely will be leaving the theaters soon to, to accommodate all these other big films that are coming out. So it, Joker, it, it's just adding padding now. It, it's already a huge success story. It's a It's a box office behemoth. It's a critical darling. It's a Academy Award player right now in terms of receiving nominations at least for Oscars. So Joker's well into the into the conversation, but it's dying down in terms of its box office. But still, an incredible one run for the Joaquin Fiend, acted, led, and led directing by Todd Phillips film. Joker coming in with $2.8 million at the box office this weekend. Guys, what did you think about this weekend's box office? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now to move on to some breaking news that came out a few minutes ago, and that is to do with Godzilla v. Kong. Now, there's been a lot of talk about 
when is it's Godzilla v Kong still coming out in in March? It was supposed to come out in March of March 13th of 2020. We haven't gotten any kind of trailer yet, no footage, no poster, no nothing. The last time we really heard anything about Kong v Godzilla was when Godzilla King of the Monsters came out, and then they were talking about we're still in the process of post production. We wrap we wrapped production on it. We wrapped principal photography. So it's just about getting reshoots probably and, and editing the film and and getting it to where it needs to be for its release date when it comes out and there's really been no talk about it for at least the last few months really since since really june honestly it's it, more than a few months but now there is some leeway into what's happening with godzilla v kong and because king of the monsters only grossed 358 million dollars worldwide at the box office people were wondering is is there going to be change that warner brothers going to be making to the film what's happening well, it seems like now there's some leeway in that Godzilla v. Kong will be fighting its way into theaters on November 11th of 2020, pushing back the date to in the, the fall season and the holiday season instead of March 13th. And this, to me, is, I think, a very good idea on the part of Warner Brothers because I think not releasing... A lot of people have been saying you don't need to release any any holiday anything during the holidays there's a, there's a lot of previews already coming out for the holidays for january and february you don't want to get kind of meshed into all this marketing campaigning going on for the big movies and other studios wanting to put out their previews for what's coming out next year during these big blockbusters like a jumanji and a star wars coming out in the next few weeks and so people are wondering is combi godzilla going to be doing that and i think for them not being muddled in that release window is the smart idea and it gives them also it, they don't have to rush the build up to the marketing. I think because that they'll be able to have a a longer time to market this film, they'll have the the first quarter, they'll have the springtime to market. Then they'll have Comic-Con to market this film if Warner Brothers does go to Comic-Con next year and then they can start ramping up into September and October. They can have that basically year-long marketing campaign for Godzilla v Kong and make it the big epic kind of battle that people are expecting especially if you're a fan of these kaiju monster films that people want to go see and that they're anticipating this and that everything's kind of been leading towards this it's basically the avengers style of these monster movies that is that is that have come out over the last few years between the first two godzilla movies and then kong skull island so th there's a lot of writing on this movie and especially since king of the monsters all didn't officially bomb bomb it didn't make back a lot of its budget it wasn't a lot of people thought this film could have made over a billion dollars at the box office it fell well below that not even grossing half a billion dollars at the box office didn't even hit 500 million dollars worldwide came in 358 and that's where the budget was so it kind of dipped in the red so warner brothers i think it scaled back a little bit saw what they could do and they have the entire year of really 2020 to market this movie Put out the teasers, tease it out, and then start pulling back the layers until September, October arrived. Then you really start doing the marketing blitz that you would do it for a big event film like this. And you give people some time to to think about it. And, and to really, you don't have like a three-month winter where it's like, oh, oh, Godzilla v. Kong is coming out. Uh, uh, what does it look like? There's only been a little bit of uh, marketing here and there. People are going to go want to see what this movie's about, especially if maybe they haven't been on the side of what the two Godzilla sequels, or excuse me, the two Godzilla movies have done in the last six seven years or so and what they did with kong skull island maybe doesn't satisfy people maybe adam wingard who's directing this film maybe has some some big shoes to fill and then he has to show people what this movie is the long haul and i think the cast in this one 
is incredible. You got Alex, Alexander Skarsgård, Millie Bobby Brown, and Kyle Chandler. Both those two, Oren King of the Monsters, will be coming back. Isa Gonzalez, Rebecca Hall. It's a fantastic cast. So I think that you have that long marketing markability for it. I think Warner Brothers will be just fine. Guys, what do you think about this news? Let me know anything down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now to move on to some superhero news that is coming out of the DC world in terms of casting. And Matt Reeves is the Batman, is the big casting news storyline of at least the back half of 2019 between getting nominations about Zoe Kravitz, Paul Dano, and Jeffrey Wright, all playing classic characters in the Batman world between Catwoman, Riddler, Commissioner Gordon. We got our Penguin with Colin Firth. There's been a lot of leadway. Andy Serkis as Alfred. There's been a lot of leadway and what the cast is looking like for the Batman. And this past weekend on Friday, literally an hour after I finished that podcast episode of the Stamp Cell podcast, new, new information came out that there was another casting announcement and that is that John Turturro from the Transformers franchise from the Big Lebowski will be playing villain Carmine Falcone in the Batman Matt Reeves is Batman and it just asks us incredibly talented roster again between Robert Pattinson who's playing Bruce Wayne Batman Andy Serkis playing his trusty sidekick Colin Firth Paul Dano again Zoe Kravitz the list goes on and on and on with this film and I think on paper it's one of the best cast for a comic book movie at least in the last five to six years it is so stacked from top to bottom and i think some people are going to be saying to themselves well how come there's all these villains isn't gonna is it gonna be bloated i think when matt reeves he said that it's going to be more of a neo-noir in gotham and it's going to follow the detective style of batman more and that it's going to be featuring his rogue gallery of villains so i think if if matt reeves is able to find a way to do it i trust him he's an incredible director again what he did with the last two Planet of the Apes movies, Dawn and War, are just phenomenal. They're some of the best movies to come out of this this decade, really, in my opinion, especially Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. It's incredible. So I think for... And, and to get someone like a John Turturro, I think even though he might not look like the guy in the comic books, I think he's a great fit for a Carmine Falcone. He just... When, if you just get him to play that gangster role, he has that kind of vibe to him. I think if Nolan casted him in his Batman trilogy as Carmine... I think he would have been great as well. So I think this is a really good fit for John Turturro. I can't wait to see what he does and everyone else does in, with the Batman, which comes out in the summertime of 2020. It's still ways and ways off, but we, we're getting all these casting announcements. I don't know when it's going to stop, but apparently production is supposed to start either at the end of this year or beginning of 2020 so they can film basically for the entire year, and then they'll have basically the last half of 2020 and the beginning half of 2021 to get the film done and on slate for the release date in the summertime 2021. But guys, what do you think about John Turturro coming in to play Carmine Falcone? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now, one of the last things I want to get into today is the in terms of the Oscar race, there's been a lot of films that have been coming out over the last few weeks that studios want people to see and get the, the word about so they can get they can get ready for that last those last few weeks of 2019. And 1917, directed by Sam Mendes, cinematography by Roger Deakins, is one of those films that has a lot of potential Oscar Oscar consideration. And, and what we've gotten from the previews, it's a World War One film. It seems like it's gonna it could be a great versatile theater hit. There's there's been a lot of speculation and, and a lot of buzz before people saw it about what 1970 could bring to the end of the year and to the Oscar race. 
And it seems like the the studios have put out pressers for nineteen seventeen, and people have started tweeting about it. And it seems like the reactions are phenomenal for this movie. Just to read off a few, Eric Davis over at Fandango, one of the managing editors, came out and said on Saturday, excuse me, hashtag 1917 is a tremendous piece of filmmaking, bold in its storytelling, masterful in its execution. It's thrilling and emotional, and I could not take my eyes off the screen from the second it began to the second it ended. The very definition of a film you must see on the big screen. Wow. Scott Feinberg over at The Hollywood Reporter says, Mendez's excellent 1917 joins the race. Almost unfathomable that the cinematographer Deakins and the production designer Gassner don't win second Oscars and composer Newman doesn't win Oscar number one. Pick director original screenplay noms almost certain wins possible acting nominations possible as well. Dave Cargo over at Turner Classic Movie also got to see the film. He says 1917 is a masterful study of suspense, artistry, and timing. I'm in awe of how Sam Mendes and Roger Deakins pulled it off. Definite nominations for picture, director, cinematography, and design. Possibly score and sound editing to a major wow. And then Steve Frosty Weintraub over at Collider said, I've seen a lot of movies and know how they are made, and I have zero idea how Sam Mendes and Roger Deakins pulled off the cinematography in 1917. It's a stunning cinematic achievement and easily the frontrunner for the Oscar in cinematography. Mind blown. From the second 1917 starts to the final frame, it's total immersion into another time and place, and it's just a stunning movie on another level. Another 2019 film that absolutely blew me away. See this on the biggest screen you can. And I really haven't heard that about a war film since Dunkirk came out in 2017, which was directed and written by Christopher Nolan. And to me, some people are even saying that this film is the best war movie since Saving Private Ryan, which to me is a high, high bar to set. Saving Private Ryan is my favorite film of all time. And it just seems like all these, all, so many filmmakers are, are coming up with these war films that are, they're finding new and, and insightful ways to to do different things with the with, with war movies between what really Nolan did with Dunkirk in which it was more about the event and not about the characters but still you were were invested in the characters from really the beginning to the end and, and, and into this event that was going on and then of course you get into 1917 which at first when you first saw the first trailer you're like okay this is going to be a a good war movie you got an academy award winner behind it both as a director and as a cinematographer what could go wrong and then a few um, about a month or so ago there came out reports and a featurette talking with Sam Mendes and Dicas and the cast and crew talking about how 1917 was going to be shot as one continuous take kind of like if you've ever seen Birdman that came out a few years ago won best picture at the Academy Awards and best director for Alejandro Iñárritu that cinematography was really one consecutive take throughout the entire movie and while it's they they shoot it in in and separate takes and that in different takes and, and as camera shots they're able to go into post-production and, and it's also not just the cinematography but it talks when you do something like that the master of being a, an editor and going to post-production making it seem as seamless as possible that it seems like one complete take from beginning to end and when you have somebody like a roger deakins behind the camera as well you know it's going to be something incredible but i wasn't expecting these kind of responses it seems like 1917 is going to be that kind of movie that that really takes the Academy, this year's Academy season, Oscar season by storm, and puts it in a front runner where maybe we had, some people had Irishman maybe winning Best Cinematography, maybe now 
Roger Deakins, which I think a lot of people thought Deakins would win it no matter what? Or do you have a Sam Mendes, who maybe on a lot of people's list was on the bubble for getting Best Directing nomination, probably jumps into the top three of a guaranteed nomination for Best Director. And even Best Picture, maybe what was in the bubble, is now a, a, a certified, at least, lock for a nomination. So it seems like that it seems like 1917 is that film to really creep up on a lot of people and surprise everybody. So I'm excited to see that. And, and the fact that war movies are still so immersive as a cinematic experience that you still need to go see them in the theater. And again, it goes back to the point of filmmakers finding new ways to make you go see these movies and to keep you invested into them. And I don't think we've really ever really seen, again, a war a, a World War One movie told like this and really told on the big screen in a long time. It's always been World War Two, Vietnam, Iraq, the War on Terror. There's never really been something about World War One, So I think to go back to this time period that I really haven't seen on live action form, I'm excited about that. I'm excited to see this movie. I'm definitely going to be checking it out either in, probably in IMAX. I want to see it on the biggest screen possible if all these critics and incredible people are suggesting to go see this movie on the biggest screen possible. I will take it like that, and I will take the that advice and that criticism and go see this movie on the biggest screen possible. It comes out the last week of December, December 27th. Guys, what do you think about all these rave, rave reviews for 1917? Are you excited about it? Do you think it's going to become a heavy Oscar contender? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now, the final thing I want to talk about is James Bond 25, a.k.a. No Time to Die, the 25th installment in the Bond franchise that started out in the early 60s with Sean Connery and Dr. No. And Daniel Craig once again comes back as James Bond after being in this role for well over 10 years since 2006's Casino Royale, which is still one of the best Bond films and I think one of the best films to come out in the last 10, 15 years or so. I absolutely love that Bond film, along with Skyfall, some of the best Bond films that have come out in, a lot in, in recent years. But for Daniel Craig, there's always been the... the will he, won't he retire from Bond? And it seems like he's always kind of played around with that specifically these last two installments with Spectre people thought that's it he's not going to play Bond anymore and then the last few years he played coy about coming back for it and then it seemed like Sony and, and, and MGM dumped a whole truckload of money into his face to do one at least one last rodeo I never really heard it from his mouth that it would be his last rodeo no time to die but it seems like in talking to Stephen Colbert promoting Knives Out which he stars in and I hear he's absolutely fantastic in that film he will be retiring from the role as 007 in which he told Stephen Colbert that he said when Colbert asked him are you done after this film and he said point blank yes that's it I'm done no more and I can't really blame the guy and not only just being a lot older he suffered really gruesome injuries that have delayed production I from the reports I remember when he shot Spectre on that train sequence when he's fighting Dave Batista, apparently he tore his Achilles on that uh, during that that that, that sequence of, of shooting. On this film, he 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 broke his ankle. So I think for him, he's just that the money comes in handy. But when you got to use that money for medical bills, you want to save that money up. So I think for him, it's just it's time to go. He had a great run. He really did deliver some of the best Bond films in in, in recent memory between Casino Royale and Skyfall, while delivering some of the more so-so I don't I wouldn't want to say downright awful but so-so films in the last in the last 10 15 years even 20 between Quantum Solace and Spectre really so we'll see if No Time to Die is it's always been up Casino Royale down Quantum Solace way up Skyfall down Spectre we'll see if he's able to end it 
on a high note as his time as Daniel Craig in 007. No Time to Die comes out on April 8th of 2020. Guys, are you excited about seeing Daniel Craig one final time as James Bond? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. But guys, that's going to be it for this edition of the Stand by Self Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Network, and be sure to check out the other amazing shows on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis, and check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. You can check them out on their website, ambiguousproduction.com, and also on Facebook and Twitter, at Real Ambiguous. Also, if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, make sure to follow me on social media on Twitter, at Basel Samuel, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L, and on Facebook, at Sam Basel, and at the Sam Basel Podcast. Guys, I just want to let you know real quick that since it is Thanksgiving week, really, I am, I am in college right now, and I will be going home tomorrow late at night, so I will not be able to have, I don't have some time during the day to do Tuesday's recording, it's always usually in the evening and at night, and I'm leaving at that time to go back home in Jersey, so I will not have a recording of the Sampasel podcast tomorrow, but I will have one on Wednesday, not one on Thursday, and might have one on Friday, depending on if I just do one on The Mandalorian when it comes out, or if all if all else fails, I'll be doing a, a full Sampasel show on the Samus Cell Podcast on Friday. So that's the schedule that it's looking like right now, just so that you guys know about when to tune in and when to look forward to another edition of the Samus Cell Podcast this week with the hecticness of Thanksgiving Day week and into the weekend. But guys, once again, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening.